Good to be with you guys tonight. My name is Jack. If we haven't met yet, um, I have been working here the last couple of years. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, Somersault. Yeah, nice. Max, good to see you. Welcome back to America. Um, yeah, summer's almost over, guys. Sad, ah. Uh, two weeks left of Somersault this week, then next week, and then we're back to school almost, which in some sense is sad, but in some sense, 44 days till Cyclone football. There it is. Pack the jack, gonna be electric. It's gonna be amazing. Speaking of sport, this week I've also been watching the World Track Championships. Anybody a track fan? I've, ne I've never like, yeah, I've, ne I've never been a track fan before, but it's happening in Eugene, Oregon, where we're gonna be moving in a year to plant a church and a salt company there, which is great, oh yeah. So I've been watching that and watching like my new city where we're gonna be living, it's amazing. I mean, they have people who are throwing the hammer that are these massive dudes that can launch this rope with a ball very far, and then like a marathon runner who's this twig that can run 26 miles in two hours. So track is this weird spectrum, kind of like football of all sorts of body types. It's incredible. Um, and then the final big announcement of the summer is tonight at midnight. You guys, it's a big announcement. One of my good friends, Davis John Patton, Davis Patton. Also, Davis John Patton, he has a Spotify, uh, Spotify, I don't know. He is a musician, and he's releasing his first album tonight. Yeah, it's big time. It's, so if you're going to stay up midnight, and here's the plan. We're all just going to put Dave, Davis John Patton, Dave, I call him Dave. We're going to put Dave's uh, album on repeat for like the next week and get all them Spotify streams up so that way he can buy a new car because the Honda Civic or the Honda Accord needs to go. So all of us collectively, if we do that, can rig the system and get Davis a new car through all the streams we do. So that's the, the big announcement. Um, but tonight... We're back in on Colossians, Colossians 3, kind of finishing up the series. Next week, Beej will finish it in Colossians 4. Um, and we're entering in um, kind of to this five-week, I don't even know how many weeks, series on Colossians. Um, but tonight's text, specifically Colossians 3, 18 through 4.1, is rather controversial for us. If you don't know it, here's how the text starts tonight. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. So that's what we got tonight. Before we begin and before I, we, we enter in, I want to just address something quickly, that there is a plethora of really smart and wise people on Cornerstone staff and Salt Company staff, and somehow they managed to pick the freshman guy, the hype guy, to be talking through Colossians 3, 18 tonight. So I know my role. I'm very self-aware, and I think you guys know me well, too. So we're going to get through this together. You know, I'm normally hype, getting people excited, but tonight we're going to be walking through uh, Colossians 3, 18. Um, but in all seriousness... We have a text before us that is divisive in our culture and sometimes causes people to misinterpret the Christian faith and what God has called, called us to as male and female. So tonight it's okay to be questioning where you're at, okay to be questioning what's going on in 30 minutes. I promise you we're not going to solve the male-female roles of the church in 30 minutes. We won't be able to do that tonight, but we're going to try to understand what God is trying to teach us in Colossians 3. So you'll still have questions tonight, and I want you to have questions. But what we do at Salt Company and what we do at Cornerstone is we open the Bible, and we read it, and we go verse by verse, and we don't skip things that are hard to read. We don't skip hard, controversial topics like Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. We enter in, and we see how God is trying to communicate with us. And so are we good with just entering in tonight? 30 minutes. Are we good? Are you with me? Great. Yeah, there it is. Thanks, Carter. Um, so with the base, for the base level reminder tonight, where we're going to work from, all summer long, we've been building on this idea in Colossians that Jesus is Lord over all. 
that Jesus is king. A few weeks ago, I preached on the supremacy of Christ in Colossians 1, how Jesus is ruler, redeemer, and that is the foundation we're going to build off tonight. That it is simply Christ that we build everything, all of our theology off of. He is a good ruler. Last week, Nick Harsh walked through Colossians 3, putting on the mind of Christ, putting off the mind of sin or the life of sin. And in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it says this. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, where you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So remember this right before we enter into our passage tonight. Colossians 3, 2 says this, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. So as we dive into a text like this, it is important not to look and set our minds on the things of culture, but it is important for us to set our mind on the things of Christ as we read something like this. So with that in mind, he is supreme ruler, Jesus, supreme redeemer. Let's set our mind on him as we enter in. And so the first question I have for you guys tonight as we enter in is, what is the greatest family you know? Or who is the greatest family you know? Or what makes up a great family? Like, think of the great characteristics of maybe your family or someone else's family. For me, I was thinking this week, like, what makes up a great family? And in high school, it was whatever house had the most, like, snacks. Like, if they had gushers, it was like, that is, that's, the, that's a good family, you know? You had great snacks, plethora of drinks in the fridge. Or maybe it was the house that had, like, no rules. Going over in high school, you're like, this place is wild. It's amazing. I don't know what you guys think when you think of ideal family. But I have a great, and I have a great family, and I love them. But tonight, I want to uh, remind us and highlight a fictional family that I think is absolutely incredible. It comes from a TV show that my nieces and nephews watch um, that I have watched by myself as well. It's a show called Bluey. Wow, I knew that was going to happen. The show Bluey. So if you don't know what Bluey is, that's okay. I'm actually thankful that you know it. But Bluey is about a family of blue healer dogs, right, that live in Brisbane, Australia. Mom, Chili, Dad, Bandit, and the two daughters, Bingo and Bluey. And they're around the ages of four to six. It's a really a show about how Bluey and Bingo, the two little dogs who have these amazing Australian accents. Anybody with an Australian accent, I love. But about how Bluey and Bingo play like elaborate games, have huge imagination, and their parents like enter in with them. It's an incredible show. I mean, there's probably gonna be a connection group of dudes that get hooked on Bluey this year, I'm calling it. We'll, we'll see, we'll find out. But what's incredible about this show is you see two little kids who love each other, love playing games, and two parents who really love each other and love their kids. Like parents who would stop at anything to play imaginary games with their two kids. I, they're dogs, but they're like humans talking. I don't know how to, they're kids, yeah, they're kids. It's incredible, it's incredible to watch as Bandit and Chili, the parents love one another and love their children, quite convicting as well. And tonight, for the rest of the night, we're gonna be finding out what the ideal family looks like in the family of God, what the ideal, family looks like, how to be around, how to work in the society where we live, how to do marriage, how to be a parent, all those things, pretty applicable to this room in the future, let's say that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 3, 18 through 25 to start. So Colossians 3, 18. Paul is getting to his final letter, final moments in the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, almost 4. Read with me now, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. So here we are. Stop here for a moment. The controversial statement in our day and age. The reality of marriage. And first off, we need to understand what Paul, who Paul is directing these words to. 
were in the 60s, and not like the 1960s, but like the original 60s, like 60, yeah. So Paul was writing in the 60s, not far beyond the time of Christ, and currently in Colossae, it is common practice of family that the father is the head of the household, and he rules the household. He has complete control over everything in it. Thousands of year, years before our time, the man in the relationship, the man in the family, had full patriarchal rule over his family. What the father says goes. Family is not seen as a relationship to nurture, rather property that gave men value in this time, in this age. Early Jewish and Greek teachings on this idea would affirm and reinforce the idea that wives are to submit to their husbands. The idea of full control male headship. A terrible time in history of the world. A terrible way to live in an oppressive way to live. So from like 2,000 years ago, all the way to now, a lot has changed, right? A lot has changed. Most of our society would not agree with this or support this. Paul's original letter is meant for people during that time, but it's also applicable to us in Ames, Iowa today. So tonight, we're going to kind of go on a bridge, back and forth, Colossae, Ames, Iowa, 2,000 years, kind of bridge that gap. I don't know how you bridge a gap of 2,000 years, but we're going to try. So 2,000 years later, Ames, Iowa, how does the idea of submission and love translate to us? And I want to start out with husbands first. Because if we can't frame what a husband is called to, it won't help us understand what wives are called to either. So what does it say? Husbands, love your wives and don't grow bitter to, towards them. Here's why I want to start with husbands. Because in the day of Paul, as he is writing the words, husbands, love your wives, he is trying to tear down the societal framework that husbands have full control over their spouses. He's actually preaching something super radical trying to make the gospel of Jesus and take the gospel of Jesus and apply it to the family framework, something that many people would be like, oh, heck no, that can't happen. Husbands that love your wives is direct opposition to the culture of that day. You see, the culture didn't see people as evil and equal, and Paul sees them as equal. He is fighting for the people who can't speak. Paul's command to the husband is not to lead or to command or to direct. It's simply this, love your wife. I know all of you, many of you in here, some of you will be married and some of you may not be. But tonight as we enter in, we're just going to assume that all of us are preparing for marriage one day. And what's interesting is that Paul uses the word love here. And in the Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar, I learned this this week, but the Greek word is agape. And agape means Christ-like love or to love as Christ. Paul is saying to husbands, love your wives with the same type of love that Christ has shown you. And you know what characteristics are the type of characteristics that follow the love of Christ? It's characteristics of selflessness, forgiveness, care, and tenderness. Agape love is no easy task. To agape someone, to love them, is to lay everything down for them. To give up your life, to count your life as less than the other. That is what agape love looks like. What Paul is telling these Colossians is that the society has been wrong. Wrong about marriage, wrong about how... Men are supposed to have control or ownership. Marriage is not about having power or authority. Marriage not, is not about being more important than the other. Marriage, for the husband, is a, call, is a call to submit to the love of Christ, to recognize, recognize Christ's love in your life, and to turn around and give that to your wife. Ephesians 5.28, kind of the sister passage of this passage in Colossians, says it this way, in the same way, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. So husbands, in a marriage, 
should desire that their wife's needs are met before their own. You hear this a lot at weddings, that love is not always just a feeling, but it takes action and decisions. And what we see in agape-type love, Christ-like love, is that Jesus Christ humbly stepped down from heaven to walk amongst people of the earth, sat with sinners, healed people and cared for them, was patient, kind, compassionate, caring, and all those things, he would even go as far to give up his own life. Jesus made decisions, took action. And I'm sure people in the day probably felt Jesus' love when they were around him, but what they also did is they also saw it. Husbands are not only called to make love this ooey-gooey feeling that people want, husbands are called to make, take action and take ownership over loving their wife. I was thinking about this week, you know what makes a man's man or a man's man husband? It's a man who tenderly and passionately seeks to love his wife. The command of the husband is this. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not self-seeking. It's not irritable and does not keep a record of wrong. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So for a husband... The call is not authoritative leadership. It's strictly love. So we'll go back to the first part of this. Now that we know that the husband is called to agape-type love, to submit to the love of Christ, to love the wife. The first part of this verse says, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. And here is where many of us get caught up. Here is where we get caught up in our culture, thinking that this implies a less than approach to how Christians see male and female. We hear the word submit, and we think, what a terrible thing it is. And I totally understand why that feeling rings true for many of us. Wives' submission to their husbands does not mean that everything the husband commands the wife does. I cannot call on my wife, I've been married for three years, and say whatever I want. Like, hey, go, go grab me some Cheetos. Or, I don't know what the, I had nothing written there. And I was like, what should I, what would I say to her? I wouldn't do that. But I can't just tell my wife to do whatever I want. That's not the call of the husband, and that's not true submission. Submission is not oppression, it's not obedience, and it's not bondage. Submission is that of yielding to an authority, a good authority. And what Paul does to flip the narrative in Colossians in this time is to say, wives, submit to an all-loving, sacrificial husband who has some form of authority in your life. Women in this day would have heard this and probably said to Paul, like, hey, we already, already submit. Don't you know we already submit? Don't you get it, Paul? But what Paul is saying to these women is saying, no longer submit to human authority, you submit to the authority of Christ's love inside your husband. That's what you are submitting to. At the end of the verse, it says, as fitting in the Lord. Submission that is biblical is submission to authority that is of the Lord and for the Lord only. And submission, and submission can be a scary word, and it can be gross, and it cannot be honoring to God in some ways when it is dealt with wrong. So we need to understand the truth about it. Kathy Keller Tim Keller's wife in the book, Meaning of Marriage, says it this way. It's brilliant. We, we, the church, submit to Christ in everything. And the parallel of a wife submitting everything to her husband is no longer daunting, since we know what kind of behavior the husband has been called to imitate. To what role must he submit? To that of a savior, a servant leader, who uses his authority and power to express a love that doesn't even stop at dying for the beloved. Both husband and wife should submit to the love of Christ and the authority of Christ, a holy responsibility, both equal in the eyes of God, both image bearers seen through the same lens of God. And then we often get caught up in this question. 
So if may, men have the authority, if women are supposed to submit to the love of Christ inside their husbands, we often get caught in this question, like, so, so who has the final call? Like, who makes the final call in the relationship? Who's, who's the final decision maker? And Olivia Munn from Church of the City, New York, she responds this question brilliantly. It's amazing. She says, we can do better than this. We can do better than asking ourselves this question. If a husband is laying his life down, loving his wife in the best possible way, then the final decision is made by both. When both parties work together in unity. The role of the husband and wife is different, but so uniquely important. And when it's working together in unity, it makes an incredible thing for us to witness inside the kingdom of God. Kent Hughes, in a commentary, writes it this way. We have seen two radical calls. One call to wives, submission. The other is to husbands, to love as Christ loves. These, these cannot be read in isolation. They go together. It is unthinkably absurd for the Christian husband to demand submission of his wife if he is not radically loving her. Likewise, it's errant logic for a wife who is not, who, who is not submissive to demand such a love. Like I said, we're reading about the ideal family, the great godly rules inside the family. So, so what does marriage mean for students in Ames, Iowa? Students at Salt Company, I mean, barely any of you are married. Some of you are in the process of getting married, and some of you just need to pump the brakes. It's like, hold up, you know, talk to somebody, and be like, is this smart? And let them say, no, dude, just chill. You got no money in the bank. You can't buy a ring. This is a dumb idea. Let, let someone wise tell you this. But many of you, you in this room will be married someday. Likely, a lot of you will be married. So this should be a chapter that you look at and always prepare yourself for marriage. It should be a chapter that helps you prepare for that day. This week, I've been reading a lot of chapters about marriage and commitment and love. And to be really honest with you guys, something really convicted. Been married for three years now, not super new to it, but pretty new. And as I've entered in this text more, I continue to wish that there were things I could change, things that I could have done better, things that first year of marriage, I wishing that first year of marriage wouldn't have been so hard. Like I wish I could go back to first year Jack and just shake him and be like, dude, lay down your life for your wife. Shake him to lay aside his freaking selfish desires and die to himself to love his wife. But as I've been reading and thinking about this, how to help people, how to help Salt Company students think about marriage, to prepare for it, I kept thinking about my wife. And I kept thinking about Jenna. And what we said to each other, till death do us part, in sickness and health, in good times and bad. And there is no one in my life that has been a model of Jesus more than her to me. Someone who listens to me, who cares for me, my biggest cheerleader, the one who looks me in the eyes and forgives me for the ways I have sinned against her. Who looks back at year one and doesn't count it as a, as a wash, but looks forward and says, I am with you forever. In the biggest decisions of our lives, she's pointed me to prayer and pointed me to Jesus. Reminding me that it is Christ in the hand of God that allows us to do what we do. So if you want to prepare yourself for marriage, Soul Company, I've got no, like, five-step process or no five-month plan to prepare you well. I have a really simple thing for you. You need to become someone who loves Jesus more than anything and find someone who loves Jesus more than anything. That's it. I don't have a five-step plan or things you need to look for in a spouse. All I need you to know is that you need to find someone who loves Jesus more than anything and become someone who loves Jesus more than anything. That's it. Girls, find a man who's going to lead out of love. And guys, find a wife that wants to lead you to do that love. So marriage, unique roles. Next phase in understanding the ideal family, the family of God, moving on parenting. 
Because what happens in marriage, people, is people make love. And that's a good thing. And sex produces children. All right? That's a free anatomy lesson for you guys. Yes. We're going to carry on. All of us in here are children, which means something. That's how we're going to go. Verse 20. <laughs> Verse 20. Read with me now. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Two relationships to highlight again. First, we did husbands and wives. Now we're doing parents and children, more specifically, even fathers and children. So children, every single person in this room is called to obey your parents. All of us were called to obey our parents as kids, a role uniquely given to them to lead us and disciple us and to discipline us. We were called to obedience. It pleases the Lord. When children obey their parents, when as kids they obey the God-given authority placed in their life, it, it is really amazing to see. And if you really want to experience this, if you really want to experience this firsthand, you need to serve in Cornerstone Kids, okay? It's not the same as parenting. Wow. Jack Chisholm is there every single week. So you need to experience this in Cornerstone Kids because in Cornerstone Kids, you will see why it's so amazing when kids obey their parents. I watch a dude as of recent take this, like, wooden truck, smash it against a kid's head, and he'd be like, dude, you can't smash trucks against dudes' heads. And he's like, I'm never coming to this church again because of you. Like, looked me in the eyes, has said that to my wife before, this little five-year-old dude, and I just want to whip him into shape and say, dude, you need to obey your parents and the authorities in your life. But I don't do that because it's an hour a week, and I just suffer through it. It's great. But not many of you now are, like, five-year-olds obeying your parents or, like, in your households, like, oh, I have to obey my parents now, but, like, I'm a college student. All of us have kind of, like, transitioned on from, like, being a child in the household to, like, living our own life. And so you no longer are called to obedience, but now as, as children of your parents, you're called to honor them. All of us in this room are called to honor. Obedience turns to honor. As an adult, you go from the obedient child to the honoring son or daughter. Your parents may not have raised you in a way that pleases the Lord. But as an adult now, if you're a believer in Jesus, your job now is to honor your parents. You need to honor them. End of the verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The call of agape love of the, of the husband should also translate to the children. The best type of father is the one that would lay his life down for his children, who would agape his kids. The show I mentioned earlier, Bluey, has an incredible father. Bluey and Bingo, the daughters, are always, like, running around with these imaginary games, and they always, like, interrupt their father, Bandit. Yeah, Bandit. And Bandit, like, doesn't get annoyed and go, oh, get out of here, like, go play somewhere else. He literally, like, stops what he's doing and enters into their game. They'll be, like, washing dishes, and they'll be like, you're frozen. And he'll be like, and then they'll leave the room, and he will stay frozen because he loves his kids. He loves those two little blue healers so much. It's incredible. We should long to have a dad like this. And we should also long to become parents like this. The ideal family, two parents that love and serve one another and kids that honor and obey them. The call to the Colossians from Paul. And marriage and parenting can be hard. For some of you, growing up, your home was a really broken place. But when we submit to what God is calling us to in this passage, when we submit to that, Jesus can help you transform your home of the future into something that's glorifying and honoring to him. And I believe that for you guys. We're going to move on. Parenting. You might become parents someday. You need to prepare for that. Third thing we need to look at in this passage is work. Moving on, the last part of the, the last chunk of this scripture, another controversial chunk of scripture, Colossians 3, 22. It says, slaves, obey your masters and everything. And off the top, we need to stop right there, and we need to clarify something right away. 
The word slave here does not mean what we have defined it here in America. This verse has been wrongly interpreted and wrongly used for authoritative leadership inside of many people's lives. Mark Vance says it this way, the very issue of slavery is revolting to us, and it should be, the possession of another human being. But this passage in Colossians does not advocate for slavery, but merely addresses the actual social context that is really in the first century. There are slaves in the Greco-Roman world, and in Colossians, it, it's asking us, how, do we, how should those people be treated? Paul is not simply here addressing human masters, and he's not addressing slaves. Remember, we're crossing bridges, 60s to like 2022. And back in this world, there was household slaves, people who were working off financial debt, who were trying to find a way to support their family so that they could maybe leave a war-torn country, different type of slaves. And actually, it's more aligned with working, more aligned with workers and bosses. That's how we're going to translate it tonight. And that's, you can't translate it perfectly to that, but that is what we see here today. Workers to bosses, from their town to ours, the comparison of a slave is to a worker, and that's how we define it. We all work and live, and some of you might not have a job, some of you do have a job, many of you will have jobs someday. But Paul here is calling the Colossian workers to be great employees, to work hard for their masters, for their bosses. So continue reading with me. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and for people, not for people, knowing that you will receive an award, reward for an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly so that you too, so that you, you know that you too have a master in heaven. Paul is writing about the relationship between those who work and those who are bosses. If you, if you work, you should work out of the foundation that Jesus is Lord in your life. Do it from the heart. Not for the impression of your boss, not for the impression of your coworkers. Work out of, work out of a desire to serve and love Jesus, out of a love for Christ. A commentary I read this week says it this way, the temptation may be to work only to attract attention, to get by or to get by with as little as possible. But the Christian, the Christian by contrast, must give wholehearted service in the workplace in all circumstances because our work is something done for the Lord. We work in the confidence that he, it will not be wasted, but that it will be gathered up by God who brings everything to a successful culmination. I would love to hear from employers all across Ames that they love hiring Salt Company students because those are the type of students that work wholeheartedly to serve the Lord and serve their bosses. In our town, if you work at Chick-fil-A, work so hard for your employer, for your boss, and if you don't say my pleasure, you are setting yourself up to get fired. And I agree with your boss that that is worthy of firing. Perry worked at Chick-fil-A. Perry was a great Chick-fil-A employee, maybe the best ever. You can talk to him after about it. But something that, that is interesting about me, about this passage to me, is what Paul communicates here in, in 4 verse 1. Chapter 4 verse 1. That we are to remember we serve a master in heaven. So no matter how high up you get in a company someday, no matter if you own a massive business, no matter if you're Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or whoever you think is a really high up employee, all of us will serve and will meet Jesus one day. We all serve the master in heaven, which is Jesus. None of us can get above that. So if you're a worker, work hard for the glory of Christ. And if you're a boss, deal justly and fairly with your employees. The best way to prepare for being a boss the best way to prepare to be a manager or whatever is to be an incredible worker right now. Schoolwork, part-time job, 
whatever it is. So the ideal family. Let's notice something. Paul does not start with work. Paul does not start with children. He starts with marriage. He works his way towards children and then towards work. My fear for students at Iowa State University, my fear for this room is that you guys would graduate and your focus would go not to your wives and to, and to your husbands, not to your children, but it would be all focused on getting the bag and making all the money. That your focus would totally shift. That you wouldn't be someone who comes home to love your wife or love your husband or love your children. The ideal family is not a family that works 24-7, but a family that rests and loves one another. So marriage, parenting and work, three things that God, God designed uniquely for us to do, three things that he will call you into and might call you into someday. We just heard the three parts of what Paul is trying to, communi to communicate to the Colossians in family relationships. So Salt Company, students who are 18 to 23, maybe a little bit older, if you're taking another lap, love it. We need to prepare for this, and you need to prepare well for this. This is a call and an ask that you would be slowly preparing to be a, a husband or a wife or a, or, a or a parent one day. Here are three characteristics of people who are preparing well. Three characteristics of people who want to create families that have their foundation set on Jesus. And the first one is this, forgiveness. If you are in Christ, you are a forgiven people. The gift of grace is freely given to us, and now we give that to one another. The greatest gift inside a marriage that has made my life and my marriage so much better is the gift of forgiveness. Allowing ourselves to forgive one another and take the same type of love that Jesus has given us, given us and give it to one another. Forgiveness. Second thing to make a firm foundation for a family is patience. Patient people make great listeners and great spouses and great parents. Patience is that of being slow to speak and slow to anger, slow to bitterness, quick to love, and quick to gentleness. Patience, a way to build a firm foundation and prepare to be in a family. And the third is this, humility. No one ever has gotten marriage perfectly right. And no one ever has been a perfect child or a perfect parent. And no one has ever worked for someone or worked with people perfectly. All of us are sinful, and we must recognize that. And we must own that. We must own that we can't be perfect parents, can't be perfect spouses, but in humi humility, allow God, for God to slowly shape us and mold us to becoming more like him. To be humble is to serve. To be humble is to lead. Forgiveness, patience, humility. Three characteristics that you guys right now can put on to prepare for marriage, for parenting, and for work. John 13, 12 through 17, recounts the story of Jesus and his disciples. About Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And it says this, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Jesus, like we said at the beginning, the foundation of all of our theology, of all that we think, is the most powerful being in the world, creator, sustainer of the universe. He has been and will always be that. Yet in his ministry, he would bow down to his disciples, those who were alongside of him, and wash the dirtiest parts about him, clean them, and forgive them. And through his ministry would be patient among them. He would show them what agape love meant. He humbly 
would submit to the Father's will. Christ not only came to serve and to give us an example of that, but to humbly submit his life for us. If Jesus doesn't submit to the Father, to be murdered and sacrificed on our behalf, then there is no great love to be followed. It is Jesus as Lord and Redeemer, ruler and Redeemer that allows us to carry that love forward. For those of you that don't know Christ, who don't know him or don't have a relationship with him, there is a call and there's an invitation to join the greatest family ever. A great family full of forgiveness and patience and humility. Agape type love that can be given to you freely if you believe. And I want that. Before we begin, after we've heard three things that honestly aren't necessarily applicable right now when we walk out these doors. I mean, not all of you are going to go home tonight, sit in your beds, or hang out with all your friends in your college house and think, man, let's just talk about marriage and parenting. That sounds really, really fun, you know, or, or working. Let's talk about that. If you're doing that, like, I don't know, do something different because you should think about it, but hang out with your friends and have fun. So why does all this matter? Why are we talking about this? Why not skip Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1 and just move on to something else? Well, let me let you in on a little secret that Salt Company has. Salt Company is not here for just a four-year dope experience. We don't exist just, just so that you can have four years of awesome Thursday nights, sick retreats, great connection groups, awesome conferences, all the sweet merch, all that stuff. Salt Company has not existed just for four years for you guys to get here and get out. Salt Company exists so that people like you would take and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, build a foundation, and for the next 40, 50, 60 years, follow Jesus with that. It's a ministry that's designed not for four years, but for the next 40. And here's the reality. The idea of the perfect family, the idea of parents with a great marriage of submission and love, the idea of parents and children cohesively living together in a family that works hard with passion may not be your story. That may not be anything close to what you grew up with or what you've seen modeled to you. But Soul Company, the beautiful thing is that saying yes to Jesus and following him, you can create a whole new family that's firm foundation is rooted on Christ that gives your kids a great example of what it looks like to love Jesus. If you had an absent dad that wasn't around, you can be a dad to a kid that desperately needs a dad to love him. If you saw a marriage that was broken, you can get married and it doesn't have to be broken. You can actually enter into that and love your spouse with agape type love. If work was really hard to witness or it's been really hard for you, you can work hard for the joy of the Lord. All things can, can change. Jesus, as Lord of your life, can radically change everything about your family and everything about your family's future. With Christ, this room can be filled with men who enter into marriage with a desire to love their wives and sacrifice for them. This room can be filled with women who would submit to that kind of love and lead their husbands to lead that way as well. I believe that for you guys, and I believe that for Soul Company, that we can be people filled with the Spirit of God in us who would change the way families are seen in our culture and the way Jesus can be presented to people around us. So with that, let's pray and ask God that he would make that true of us. So Father, there are hard things that we read in your word, things that challenge us, things that make us uncomfortable, things that we may not agree with, but we know that your word is true, that it's powerful, and that if we follow your word, it leads to a life of abundance, a life of joy. And so God, I'm asking tonight 
that you would create in this room, create inside Soul Company this year, people who, wanted, who desire and want to be great husbands, great wives, great parents, great workers for the kingdom of God, for the glory of your son. God, I'm asking that you would slowly change us to build families not based off what the culture around us wants to base it off of, but based off the love of Christ, based off your word, based off the things that you have commanded of us. And so God, with your grace on our lives, the forgiveness of our sins, we ask that you would continue to show us the way to do that well. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.